Hey there, you're listening to the Doing It Sober podcast, a podcast about everyday people living their best lives after addiction and alcoholism. Listen to the stories, the tips, and what's keeping these people sober every day. I am your host, Daniela Park, also an addict in recovery with over 13 years sober. I have co-written a few books, and have my very own recovery store. To learn more about me, go to doingitsober.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Daniela Park. Thanks for joining us on the Doing It Sober podcast. We have a gentleman from Northern California with us today. He has been sober since 5-22-2015. And if he had to choose a drug of choice, it would be Oxy, but Oxy, weed, and Coke if he had to choose three. (laughs) (laughs) He grew up in Northern California. His parents were heavy drinkers. Uh, um, He discovered Coke and pills the senior year of high school, and he fell in love. I took pills every day from that point on. You got married out of college, and you were able to keep up both your addiction and a regular life going until about... 31 years old, and then the lies, the debt, the depression, and all of it finally crushed him in northern, in Southern California on a new job, and he ended up in the ER on a three-day hold. So up until that point, he had tried everything to stop, including AA, methadone treatment, just drinking, but nothing worked to stay stopped. And you enrolled in an IOP program for a year. And then that's where you discovered AA and then NA. You're a professional scientist at a large organization, and you have finally have real friends, and your family trusts you again. So you did get divorced, but you managed to stay clean. And recovery humor keeps you from getting too damn serious. I love (laughs) it. And your brother-in-law and you recently started a recovery meme page a few months ago based on a resentment. I want to hear about that. Yeah, and it's called Dope Sick Memes. You, uh, you can go check him out on Instagram, and I'll leave that in the notes. So let's welcome John. Hi, John. Welcome. Hi, Daniela. Thanks for having me on. Very, yeah, that, very happy. Yeah, that's a pr- I mean, that's, that's my story in a nutshell. You know, um, just an average guy grew up in middle class America with, uh, you know, a fairly large traditional Italian family, lots of drinking around and just kind of, um, you know, grew up in a neighborhood that had a lot of older kids in it. So I grew up fast and kind of started running with some kids that were into some things early on, you know, and really just got kind of addicted to that lifestyle of uh, running fast and, and such. But uh, lucky for me, I was always good academically. You know, I always had, I always seemed to, uh, albeit the class clown, I always used to uh, do well on tests and, and things <laughs> like that. And so, you know, that kind of kept um, a semblance of normality, I guess, in my life and kind of carried me through um, high school and college, and I was lucky enough to get into a good college. And, you know, I maintained that a drug habit, you know, through college and into an early career wow. and into a marriage as well. And, um, you know, I, 
what I found myself doing is living several different lives. Right? Mm. Like I had my family life where I was the oldest son in an Italian family. I was a husband, you know, I was a career professional and then I was a dope fiend, you know, and I kept, I had to keep a lot of secrets and stories going to make that all kind of jive. Yeah. And of course, sometimes they would uh, overlap and I'd get uncomfortable and freak out and scare everybody away and until I got control again. But, you know, I kept that going until, like you said, I was 31 and on a new job and new pressures and new people. And, um, you know, that's when I hit my bottom. Um, I was on a, a really nasty Xanax uh, run at that point, And that just took me out, you know, and um, I had some some psychosis and some really scary, you know, ideations that came about. And, you know, at that point, <clears throat> I remember calling my wife at the time and she ended up driving and, you know, three hours to see me and, you know, uh, took me to the hospital. And I remember, you know, of course they make me, uh, take a drug test, right. When they take you into the ER, cause they want to know what they're dealing with. And I remember saying to the nurse, I can't pee. You know, I couldn't remember the last time I had, I had done that. And he looks at me and he says, look, uh, either you go on your own or I'm going to stick something up you, right? To oh, get, no. <laughs> to get the urine, right? So it's like, okay, I'll uh -oh. try one more time. <laughs> oh, no. And the reason I tell this story is because I remember my wife looking at me and saying, what are they going to find in there? You know, and I remember thinking to myself, I can't tell one more lie. I was mm. done at that point. You yeah. know, I was honestly done telling lies. And I remember this huge weight lifting off my shoulders and having that freedom to just say the truth. That's great. And, and be unburdened by that. And it was right at that moment, that turning point where I was ready to do something different, you know, and I didn't know what that was going to be at that time. I just knew I couldn't keep doing that. anymore. That heavy, heavy, heavy weight was lifted and mm -hmm. it just the lying and it's exhausting. It really mm -hmm. is. And just mm -hmm. hurting everyone you love. So um, did anyone like your family or anyone notice or was your wife just not just oblivious to drug drug abuse or anything like that no one could tell or yeah you... i mean there were times and that i would just blame it on drinking you know mm -hmm. because that was acceptable was, Got it. was drinking and so i I'd, I'd use that to cover it up and i think when people are close to ones they they care about and they love i think they they have a tendency to see what they want to believe and yeah. i think denial can you know, play a role in that. And that's, that's part of the damage that we as addicts and, and me especially created, you know, around people. And I, and I, I stole a lot from people and I still, I stole their, you know, their serenity. And I think that that's like be, between that and trust are the most valuable things that we take from people, you know, that peace of mind and stuff. And so, you know, luckily I was able to start my journey in recovery then. And you know, uh, seven months in, I was out of town and I had a drink and I had enough recovery in my, 
you know, in my pocket at that time to decide that I didn't want to go down that path, you know, and that scared me right back into the rooms and I, I doubled down, I got busy and I haven't looked back and that was, um, you know, four, that was four, four plus years ago. So it's been a, it's been a good ride. Um, I, I wouldn't say, you know, everything's been good. You know, I would just say that everything's been different and, and yeah. I know that things will be okay. You know, I'm not, not in that, that constant, you know, mode of panic anymore. So that's, that's one of the cool things that recovery's given me is the ability to just um, relax mm-hmm. and be okay with myself and really um, make a good connection with my fellows and, and other members in, in the rooms. Awesome. Now, do you have um, a spiritual connection or practice? Is that part of what helps keep you sober? Definitely. And I, you know, I struggle with this because being a scientist, you know, it's everything is very <laughs> logical and I need proof, right? I need, it needs to be huh. repeatable and provable. <clears throat> and I, and I'm also a Catholic, right? And so I have a lot of God pollution that I brought into the rooms with me that, that, you know, God, I need to be fear, fearing of and that God that's going to hold me accountable. Mm. And what's really awesome is that I've been able to work through that to the point where um, I've been able to develop a, a connection with a power that's greater than myself that doesn't have a face, that doesn't have a shape, but just has a, a forgiving and loving presence that I can tap into. And so that, that's certainly something that I've relied on in my darkest days in recovery. Good for you. Um, do you help others? Uh, are you a sponsor? You're part of the program, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm part of one of the 12 uh, step programs. People, you know, listeners can take their guess on which one. But, um, you know, I've been of service ever since I came through the door. I remember getting um, railroaded, as they say, into a, a 6 a.m. coffee commitment. And <laughs> You know, that was cool. And I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot about being a a functional member of a group, right? And that's translated to, you know, my personal life as well. And I I have had the opportunity to sponsor a couple of guys. Uh, Nobody's gotten all the way through the 12 steps with me. People recover on their own. And I can't force people to, you know, um, drink, drink the water. You know, I can only show them and be there for them and well, you so stayed sober during the it. process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have <laughs> two guys right now that that's pretty cool. That's so awesome. I, you know, I, I um, make my make sure I'm available for them. Wonderful. These are all the things that are extremely important for me. You know, the spirituality, the helping us others, and that's why I always ask because I'm curious what people do. Um, I'm also curious what the catalyst was or for this resentment for this recovery meme thing you got going on because you're, you're a real cool kind of casual guy. And then your dope sick memes are hilarious and (laughs) off the wall and kind of controversial. Some of them in a way. Yeah. Resentment. That's interesting. Can you tell me more about it? (laughs) Yeah, well, definitely. So thanks for, thanks for the support. Uh, You've obviously done your homework. Um, I, so about four months ago, you know, I have to introduce my, my brother-in-law to this whole thing. He was a predecessor in recovery of mine and 
And so, we, you know, that's one of those relationships that's grown over this, uh, over through my recovery. And uh, he's an amateur comedian. He's the guy that goes to the 12 step functions and does the stand up and all of that. Oh, cool. But, you know, he's not, uh, he's not to be bothered by managerial tasks, you know? So like, we like to, we like to make it akin to the, the manager and the talent kind of deal. Uh. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So he's the comedic genius behind the page, but uh, you know, I get my memes in there when I can, and we go through this sausage making process of making memes as well. And you know, he was making memes, and we were going back and forth with some um, about four months ago. And I said, you know, I said, let's start, you know, sharing them to other established recovering meme accounts, right? Mm -hmm. And see what happens. And we would send these these memes in, and we get no response you know, and it was like, okay, we didn't really know how it worked. Yeah. And then finally we sent it to this guy and I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drop his name. He, he knows who he is. And cause I've told him about this and he said, I'm always curious why people send me memes unsolicited. And I was kind of taken aback by that. He goes, I said, well, will you post it? And he goes, no, why don't you create your own page and go post it? You're on, on your own. And I was just thinking to myself, wow, that was rude, right? <laughs> you know? I don't want to go through all that trouble of creating a meme account. You already have a few thousand followers. And, it, and, then, I, and then I sat on it for a couple of days, as we do. And I mm. said to myself, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start that recovery page. And I'm just going to do it to get more followers and more likes and make better content than you. And so that was, that was how it got started. <laughs> well, it certainly is fun to read. And, you know, anything with uh, social media, of course, you're going to have the good, the bad, and the really ugly. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it comes to people, so I'm sure you get a little dose of all of those, you know, for what you do. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's great. I love uh, humor and, and our stories are humorous to all of us and um if other people can't understand oh well but um i also wanted to ask you something because i i believe it's important you spent an entire year in an you said iop can yep. you tell everybody what it what that is yeah it's an intensive outpatient program and what i like to call it is a recovery discovery center because mm. you know it it gave me structure, it gave me accountability, but it required me to go to 12-step programs. It didn't say which one I had to go to, it just said I had to go to one of them hmm. on a regular basis and provide proof um, so that I could be compliant with that one-year program. And it was cool in the first 30 days, um, I had to go eight hours a day, and, but I got to sleep in my bed at night. So it was a good balance of, you know, going somewhere, learning about the disease of addiction in a very scientific way, which appealed to my academic sense. Yeah. Um, but also meet people, you know, develop bonds with people. And then, you know, through that process, I also got a therapist that I worked with for a year, which That's was great really cool to do some very personal work that I wasn't comfortable addressing in group forums, mm. in group settings. And 
then it sort of tapered off um, about three months into once a week meetings um, with men, or it could develop those deeper bonds and connections. And really we talked about kind of the science and the sociology of, of drug addiction and recovery, but it really introduced me to the 12 step programs, which is where I spend my recovery today. So that's mm -hmm. why I call it a, a recovery discovery you know, kind of, kind of space. I like that. I like that a lot. You know, I'm happy that you're here with us and that you're healthy and, you know, you're not in a, in the ground somewhere because opioid addiction is an, a, you know, a, a road that people usually end up dead or, you know, they, they have lived miserable lives. It's a very hard thing to come off of. Mm -hmm. um, from what I hear, I was more of the um, methamphetamine, cocaine. I mean, anything. I would take anything, but I never did get into the pills and stuff. But mm -hmm. I do hear that it is awful to get off of and people really struggle. So I'm so proud of you for making it out and, um, you know, being a good citizen, helping others, and, you know, the humor um, for all of us on Instagram. Now, do you have a Facebook page, too, or is it just Instagram? No Facebook page. I okay. haven't translated to that. Okay. Well, what would you say to another uh, addict out there that just can't get sober and is having a hard time? Is there anything you could say? Yeah, I would say to get and stay connected with people. And I know that that's really cliche and maybe hard to do, but today it's just a few button presses. You know, I, one of the, one of the coolest benefits of running this page is meeting other recovering people at all stages of their recovery. Mm -hmm. And there's something about running an anonymous meme page that enables people to just get honest and be vulnerable. And I believe that that's where recovery begins is when people are willing or able to get honest and get vulnerable. So, you know, reach out, try to um, share what's going on. And I think you'd be, people would be surprised at, at how um, available people will make themselves to that. I love that. That's awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we will probably ask you to come back on in another six months just to see what's going on with you. It's been a pleasure, and thanks for joining us. Cool. Thanks so much. Have a good evening. You too.